what do we tell them? Give me a hammer and a gum trees with lots of plum trees. A sheep, a turkey, a kangaroo, a clothesline out the back, veranda out the front. And an Coordinated strike. Welcome back to Coordinated Strike. As always, I'm your host, Joe. On today's show, we're doing a quick unit focus on the Devouring Eel. So if you're a Jibbering Hordes player or you're playing against Jibbering Hordes, uh, you need to be very aware of this unit in particular. Uh, it is a single, single wound fire team, uh, 50 millimeter base. Uh, Devouring Eel costs 3 script. It is a speed 8, defense 7. Six willpower, eight armor unit with one of the most powerful rules in the game, regeneration. During upkeep, this unit gains a reinforcement token. So every single turn of the game, it's going to get a reinforcement token without you having to do anything. And then fire teams in this unit may discard a reinforcement token to reduce damage to zero. So even if you were to take like four damage at once, if you have a reinforcement token on you, just discard that. There's no damage that you receive. So this unit is incredibly strong at staying in the game. It really helps reinforce the central theme of Jibbering Hordes, which is attrition and staying in bounds. Uh, and it does so in a, in a myriad of ways, additionally with its attack. It has Constrict, it's melee attack. It is a 6 versus defense, 2-inch reach, uh, strength 3, piercing. Uh, if this action kills one or more models... This unit gains a reinforcement token. So again, uh, it's going to add to its defense by utilizing its offense. And uh, on a ram, it gets consumed. If this action deals damage, or dealt damage, it deals one damage to the same target without a penetration flip. So this is post your damage step in the resolve triggers phase. So you, you check for damage first, damage occurs, you resolve all that. Then you have a non-flip single damage that you do in addition. This is incredibly strong on a ramp. Uh, not built in on the non-gloried side. However, if you get to glory this unit, uh, you go up to speed 8, defense 8, willpower 6, armor 8. You retain regeneration. You gain split in 2 when this unit activates. If it has 3 or more reinforcement tokens, you may discard 3 reinforcement tokens to summon a devouring eel in base contact with this model. So you have, again, part of the central theme of recursion directly in this unit. Again, incredibly strong. And then on your Constrict, your Constrict goes up to 7 with a built-in ram versus defense. 2-inch reach, again, strength 3, piercing. If its action kills warmer models, this unit gains reinforcement token. And then you still retain consume, which is now built in automatically. Of Again, if this action dealt damage, it deals 1 damage to the same target without a penetration flip. So this unit is phenomenal at killing other fire teams. It can be very strong into commanders. It can be very strong into champions. Uh, and it can help uh, reduce squads down, although its best target typically aren't squads. What you want to do every turn is try and get this model killing something. Sometimes it is the best thing is going to be to take on a squad fire team, try to take that squad fire team out. 
or at least get a single damage. Once they're gloried, you can really start to reliably do two damage because of how Constrict works. So you're going to hit, you're likely going to damage on Strength 3 Piercing on most armor classes, and then you're going to automatically do an additional point of damage without having to flip. So into something like King, or into something like uh, Abyssinia, where you have those higher average armor values, this ability really becomes uh, exceedingly strong because you're not relying on your initial damage flip as much to do multiple damage. You can still achieve multiple damage just through that consume trigger uh, because you're going to do some damage on that first flip likely, and then your second, or then the uh, the bonus damage comes in from the consume, uh, adding to the total wound count. All the while, you're adding a reinforcement token from the attack because you killed one or more models with it. So that's adding to its defensive capability. When you start to combine this with some of the other elements that you're going to be taking in your list, or maybe taking in your list, uh, or summoning in through, uh, you know, through your through your other abilities, uh, something like the armored Welks that have that three-inch aura of other other fire teams, other friendly fire teams within three inches of them cannot gain pin tokens. This makes uh, the survivability of this particular unit even better uh, because they are reliant on their reinforcement tokens for damage reduction. That's really how the bulk of their damage reduction is, is going to occur. And if you can prevent them gaining pin tokens, which actively reduce reinforcement tokens, you just keep the longevity of this unit going and then again with their ability to split in two, particularly when they're gloried, you can make more of these worms become even more problematic to your opponent because every turn each worm is receiving a reinforcement token, it really starts to add up in the volume of attacks that you're able to output as Gibbering Horde. Uh, the amount of models that you're able to move around the table, I mean, these are no slouch in the speed department. You're looking at speed 8 in glory, um, speed 8 in non-glory, which means they're rushing 16 inches. That's not insignificant. They're threading 18 with the 2-inch reach uh, in both glory and non-gloried forms. Their defense 7, their willpower 6. Uh, again, that's in non-glory. In glory, their defense 8, willpower 6. Armor 8 across the board, again, higher armor than normal. Uh, they have regeneration, which means that reinforcement token is denying any damage that you're trying to do to them. Uh, additionally, you are have the ability to place a uh, an upgrade on them. Toughness tends to be where I go with this particular unit. Again, for six points, you can get two of these, or seven points, you can get two of these uh, units and uh, two toughness upgrades, one for each of those fire teams, to really make uh, a giant wall for your opponent to have to get around and. and really provides you some super solo support as Jibbering Horde. So what are some ways that you can get around this incredibly annoying unit uh, if you're facing them? King's Empire kind of have some, some built-in uh, help requirements, particularly when they're Royal Rifle Corps glories. They're going to automatically hand out pin tokens. Um, this is all fine and good, provided your opponent has not... Uh, 
uh, also taken armored whelks and have also placed the uh, the unit by it. So a fairly reliable way, or more reliable way to kind of get uh, this unit killed for King's Empire is to utilize Margaret, utilize Rapier Wit. So Rapier Wit, if you're able to hit with it, removes all tokens from the opponent. doesn't do damage, but it removes all tokens from the opponent. And removing a stack of reinforcement tokens on these guys pretty much means anything will kill them if they ha don't have an upgrade on them, uh, don't have an asset on them uh, in terms of like a toughness, something like that. So which is why as a Jibbering Hordes player, I recommend placing uh, that type of upgrade on the unit if you can afford it. But this little guy really does some significant harm to you as an opponent. Uh, it's a model that you have to constantly think about. It self-sustains through attrition, because every time it hits you, it's going to add a reinforcement token, which means that's another hit you're going to have to successfully complete against it, because it's not a one-for-one one reduction in damage. It's a one-for-it's a reduction of all damage for a reinforcement token. This means if you can't get pin tokens onto it, or remove tokens in their entirety, your, your chances of killing this model diminish exponentially. So what are some ways you can overcome it without killing it? Well, it does have only linear threat pattern. It can't um, you know bury underneath things or those type of those type of effects. It is almost something you want to encourage to go to glory because you can get multiples out on the table as the opponent, which I know sounds highly counterintuitive, but it does mean they may be vulnerable if they glory early. Like let's say they glory turn three or they've gloried and then on turn three they have three reinforcement tokens and they elect to place a second worm down. That's an opportunity for you to potentially get some damage in them at the right time. Uh, they're a unit that you have to kind of play around as the opponent, and they give Jibbering Hordes a lot of control in a lot of different matchups, particularly into the human factions. Uh, they do give some, some benefit uh, into the Cult of the Burning Man matchup as well. And they're, a very, they're a very strong solo. They're a very strong piece. They're very good at what they do. They're also very difficult for the opponent to deal with. Uh, if Again, if you don't have a way of reliably removing those reinforcement tokens, either by getting pin tokens on them, having some kind of functionality where you can remove tokens from your opponent's models, uh, something like infiltrators. Again, King's Empire has a lot of tools to kind of work around the confines of, of the opponent having armored whelks. If the opponent has armored whelks for that 10-point module, 10-11 point module, you've got quite a quite a combination um, that the opponent is going to have to deal with. Uh, if you're the Jibbering Hordes player, that's it's quite a strong little package that you can present to your opponent. Uh, and again, you're not you're no slouch in combat. It's where you want to be. If you can do two damage on your initial attack, you will kill a three-person fire team uh, in glory because you're going to automatically do an additional point. So it really opens up some possibilities within your game as the Gibbering Horde player. So how do we counter it as sort of the different factions? Again, like I said, King's Empire has some tools around it, infiltrators, 
to kind of help remove those particular items uh, potentially in the mirror match you can utilize storm siren to move either the armored whelks or the eel away from each other so that you can start putting pin tokens on it with uh, with a barbed barbed crawlers uh, you can look at things like uh, in Abyssinia, the uh, the Basso Cav again have some very strong ability to get pin tokens out, but again all mitigatable with the uh, the armored whelks, which really kind of beg the question: What do you target in that instance? Well, in that instance, to me, it's about killing off that armored whelk unit. If you can kill off that armored whelk unit, then you can go ahead and start going after the eel. Again, it's about removal of the opponent's tokens as best you can uh, in that situation and trying to get them out of position, doing anything you can possible to just force damage onto the eel can also be helpful. But again, damage going on the eel is not going onto other threats. So again, they are they're a fantastic pickup. For a Gibbering Hordes player, and if you're facing a Gibbering Hordes player and they have Devouring Eels, you as an opponent um, have to have a game plan against this particular model. Because if you don't, it is going to do significant problems to your game plan. Again, just because of how it's constructed. Again, it's going to remove damage, it's going to stay on the table, it's going to self-sustain. It is going to do incremental damage to you. It's going to hit above its weight class uh, in a variety of ways. It is going to be utterly annoying to have to deal with and have to come up against. And if you're not planning to face it, if you don't have a plan to overcome it, it is going to really cause you consternation as the opponent. So... Some of the things to watch for from a combo standpoint uh, when you're facing it. If you see armored whelks on the table or in your opponent's list, in your opponent's garrison, if you're at a if you're at a tournament or you're playing in a league, and you see that in the garrison, um, you can kind of expect that those two things are going to go hand in hand. Well, this also lets you know that you have 10, 11 points of their particular list probably figured out, and so you're going to need something to crack high armor. Which, most of the time, if you're playing one of the human factions, one of the Earthside factions, you've got a lot of access to. In Cult of the Burning Man, you've got Fenton, you have the Warped, you have access to high-strength attacks. It's okay, you can get through the Welks. The bigger concern is, how do you keep the eel from spiraling out of control? Well... Part of that is going to be target denial. So one of the things you can do is give the eel space. If you can maintain distance away from it, from anything that you are concerned with dying, then that's a, good, that's a very good thing. Uh, you can utilize your ranged presence, particularly some of the ranged factions, to give you a bit of an advantage over the eel. Uh, you can put just attacks into it. If you put enough attacks into it, it will keel over. It doesn't have an invincible stat line. 
but it will absorb quite a bit of firepower that could be going elsewhere. But if your opponent is using them smartly, they're going to kind of be the vanguard of the army. They're going to be something that they're trying to either outflank you with because of their speed uh, or use as a secondary attack module or use to screen some of their more important pieces. If they're doing that, sometimes it's okay to put some uh, put up more attacks that you were initially expecting to do that just to remove that screen a turn earlier than your opponent was expecting. Sometimes there's a lot of value in just taking what your opponent is giving you, and in a lot of cases, the eel is going to be something they may throw out there as, can you kill this? If you can't kill it, it's going to be super annoying. But if you don't kill it they're going to probably leverage that positioning that it's going to grant them to win the game or give themselves a longer-term advantage. So it's something to take a look at when you're playing is asking yourself at different points, particularly when you're coming up against, coming up against that is something that is not overtly going to win the game, but is something that is going to be highly annoying and problematic for you to deal with is one, what is the best case scenario for this piece for my opponent? Is how are they going to utilize this to, to ultimately win the game or gain a longer term advantage? If they do that, how many turns is it going to take them to get that payoff? Because potentially the eel isn't really doing anything turn one, maybe attacking something that went a little too far turn one. Uh, turn two... It's going to be much more relevant, probably directly in the in the game, uh, and being highly problematic and annoying for you. And it's going to take, assuming they put no assets on it, three attacks to re to reduce. Uh, simply because if you have no pin tokens, or if they have a pin token mitigation ability, uh, like the Welks being around them, being within three. So let's assume that that's the setup that we're facing. Is they've got a, a they've got a, one of their fire teams of whelks within three of where they've set up the uh, the devouring eel. If they have um, an activation control on you, uh, so that they're activating it, they have more units to activate this particular turn, which means they're going to dictate when they activate this devouring eel. So it's turn two. They are within range of the objective. You've got some ranged uh, units that you can put into it. You can probably get those ranged elements into that model definitely before it activates. And you can probably get, we'll say, six good shots into the unit, into, the, into that fire team prior to its activation. If you don't have another thing that you can reliably remove. It may be worth it in that situation because of the threat to the objective, the threat of the piece in the late game, and the fact that it's already up to the mitigation of two attacks before the damage will actually strike true. Again, assuming no upgrades on it in this particular scenario is let's say we're playing a one-commander game and they didn't quite have the points for toughness, so they didn't want to utilize toughness as the asset on the commander to get that on, on there, which is a, a story for another day. But we'll, whatever scenario you want to have in your head that makes this relevant to you, we're, we're going to just talk through the mechanics of the decision-making. 
where we're going to go ahead and commit up to those six attacks to remove this particular piece. So if we go ahead, we put those attacks in. If we get lucky, we may be able to remove it in three. If we do, then we can use the additional attacks for something else. We've opened that up. Or we can just save our time and, and do something else. But when we commit to attacking pieces, particularly something like the Devouring Yield, we need to commit to its full removal. It's not a piece that you can devote some attacks to in the hopes that you remove it. It's a unit that if you're going to devote any attacks to it, you need to be able to devote enough that it is mathematically highly probable that you will remove it. If you don't, you are wasting the attacks that you are putting into it. All you are doing is softening it up for potentially a turn down the road, which is viable to do unless there's a better target you could be putting those into or another position that your pieces would be better served going to. So the Devouring Eel, again, highly annoying, highly problematic to deal with, gives Jibbering Hordes a lot of advantage. It's a piece that I definitely recommend you picking up. If your opponent starts to pick that up as, as a, as a non-Jibbering Hordes player, if you see somebody picking that unit up, uh, know that you're in for a trip on the other side of the board, and you have to start thinking about your plan to remove it uh, once you once they start to deploy it and kind of think of where that model could be turn one turn two turn three and start thinking about the it, that in those terms for the bulk of your army as well it's a good way to kind of visualize the game is kind of get a good understanding of where these models can end up it's a good exercise particularly for these cheaper models and this will be a little bit of a series that we do going forward is talking about um, these low-cost single-wound fire teams that each of the allegiances have access to, kind of their strengths, uh, a little bit of their weaknesses. Weakness-wise on Jibbering Hordes for the Devouring Eel is it's a highly offensive piece. It's a piece that kind of gets a ton of value from being a threat, extending a threat, and getting in there and just being hard to remove for your opponent. If your opponent ha if you have your opponent has the ability to get pin tokens on it or remove your tokens, it becomes a little more trivial to remove from the game, and it doesn't really provide as much advantage as it can. It's strength three piercing, which can be fairly reliable damage, but just as everything else in the game, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to remove a fire team from your opponent. Um, high volume of attacks really mess with the devouring eel. Uh, it can be kind of a problem in pain point. Um, they are really good at providing cover to the Gibbering Hordes army, uh, just because they can kind of use that 80 mil, that use that 50 millimeter base to kind of provide some uh, cover points if they're positioned correctly into shooting armies. But it does mean that the shooting army may just be in, in better course of just removing that from the board first, and depending on the objective in the game. Uh, that may net your opponent's additional points. If it is going after objectives, it's doing something. It's It can be helpful in that way, uh, but it doesn't... But it can be easily denied because it's not a multiple fire team element. It's just a single fire team element. 
And because of that, if you can engage it, you kind of shut the model down. It's Yeah, it's going to be able to attack you. It's going to be able to do damage. If it's glory, it's going to be able to do two damage to you fairly reliably, potentially three every turn. But if you're gibbering hordes, it just means, okay, they're going to kill a fire team, and I'm going to go ahead and then bring that back through the multiple means that I have to do so, and then it's just kind of locked down and doesn't really matter to me. Uh, a little more problematic for the Earthside forces, as we've kind of discussed. Again, you've got a lot of access in those factions to pin token application uh, or high or long-range high damage removal, which is very good into the, uh, the Armored Welks that could be providing anti-pin token synergy and ability. So that's kind of the story on the Devouring Eel. Uh, I want to hear from you guys about how you're kind of dealing with them. Are you seeing them on the table? You're excited to get them if you're a German Hordes player. Uh, and if you're seeing on the other side of the table, how frustrating are they to play against? How, uh, how are you overcoming them? What are some of the, the strategies that you've come up with to help uh, mitigate this particular unit that may be causing you uh, some problems? So... Please reach out to us on the show, again, cheatedfatesjoe at gmail.com. Uh, for any of those type of correspondence, I look forward to talking with you uh, in our next episode. And remember, if you have a tactics token, you can make a coordinated strike. I'm among the gun trade, with lots of gun trade. I sheep that do it, the kangaroo, I close my eyes.